Today is Friday, December 8th, and you are listening to This Week by Daily Bruin Podcasts. Every Friday, we recap the biggest news of the week from around the world, across the country, and right here on campus, and then we'll explain to you how these stories affect UCLA students. My name is Jack Garland, and I'm the podcast editor. I'm Izzy Gregg, a podcast contributor and the international news correspondent. I'm Srinidhi Nagarajan, a podcast contributor and the national news correspondent for today. And later on in the episode, we'll be joined by the Daily Bruin news editor. Now we're going to start off with some highlights from the week. Izzy, what's your highlight? I would say my biggest highlight is taking my first ever final at UCLA this week. Congratulations. My highlight is that I had my last class of the quarter today, which is so insane to me. Time flew by so fast. Yeah, it was a fast quarter. All right, now let's hop into the news. Once again, the Israel-Hamas war is leading the news. Izzy, can you give us some updates with that? The news this week regarding the war is Israel's refocusing of military efforts on southern Gaza, which is an area where they had previously told citizens to evacuate to. Thursday was the three-month anniversary of the October 7th attack, which means that we are three months into the Israel-Hamas war. And in last Friday's episode, we were waiting to see if the ceasefire would still be extended, and it has unfortunately been terminated, which means exchange of hostages has ended. Following the end of the ceasefire, the flow of aid into Gaza has slowed, leaving people in many areas reported without food or water. So it seems like southern Gaza is becoming increasingly crowded and more hostile. What's going on there? So the majority of Israel's military efforts are towards the southern Gazan cities of Han Yunus and Rafah, both places where Israel had previously told Palestinians they could evacuate to safely. This is also in regards to 80% of Palestinians having been reported have fled their homes, mostly to southern Gaza if they stay in the country, with the death count of Palestinians rising to 17,000. The Israeli death count remains at around 1,200, majority of which is from the October 7th attack. Gazan facilities have been low on fuel since the war began. Israeli Prime Minister Netanyahu and the Israeli Security Council have approved small fuel deliveries into Gaza in efforts to prevent further humanitarian crises. The UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres invoked the never-used-before Article 99 of the UN Charter, which allows the head of the UN to raise to the Security Council's attention to any issues that may aggravate existing threats to maintenance of international peace and security. He uses an order to call for a ceasefire and warn the Council of an impending humanitarian catastrophe in Gaza. There's also growing attention to accounts of sexual assaults of Israeli women during the October 7th attack. We'll continue to follow that story. And what has the U.S. been doing recently about this evolving situation? So on Thursday, Biden spoke on the phone with Netanyahu and Jordan's King Abdullah and called on Israel to continue allowing aid to Gaza and expressed concern for hostages still being kept by Hamas. U.S. Secretary of State Blinken told Israel that Israel must do more to protect civilians. Blinken also said there would be travel bans put on Jewish occupants in the West Bank who had been implicated in the recent attacks of the area. We've been covering this story now for a couple of episodes, but can you remind listeners how this story impacts students on campus? So obviously at UCLA, we're on a very diverse campus that has students, faculty, and staff who are either themselves connected to this conflict or family and friends connected. We have seen protests and demonstrations regarding it, and I think we should all listen to student voices and try and be supportive of the emotions that people might be having and experiencing. And to keep an open mind, I remember that this is a very emotionally tolling time and to check in on yourself and those around you. 
And what else happened around the world this week? So last Sunday, a Nigerian drone strike mistakenly hit a civilian area, killing around 85 people. Nigerian military reportedly thought the group were militants, and at the time of the attack, the group was, in fact, a peaceful gathering of civilians celebrating the birthday of Muslim Prophet Muhammad. The president of Nigeria has given his sympathies and is calling for a full-fledged investigation into the attack. And in the Red Sea last Sunday, Iranian-backed Houthi rebels attacked commercial ships. The Houthi rebels are a militant group backed by Iran and operating out of Yemen, where they have been responsible for the years of war and fighting in the country that has led to more than 150,000 casualties. The goal of the attacks on commercial ships was to prevent Israeli ships from navigating the Red Sea until Israeli aggression on the Gaza Strip stops. The U.S. Navy destroyers in the area who are responsible for protecting the trade ships along the Red Sea shot down three drones that were sent to attack the ships and have been aiding affected ships. It is unclear if the U.S. will take further action. Thank you for those updates, Izzy. And now we're going to turn to national news. Shunindi, what is the top story from across the U.S. this past week? So on Wednesday, there was a shooting at the Lee Business School at the University of Nevada. The gunshots were heard at around noon inside the business school, prompting staff and students to hide in locked, dark classrooms. The university sent out a tweet to students encouraging them to evacuate to a safe area and to, quote, run, hide, and fight. In later interviews, students expressed anger and disapproval towards that tweet. And almost immediately after the attack began, two police detectives engaged the gunman in a shootout outside the business school. The shooting also caused alarm in neighboring communities like Paradise Elementary School, which was also placed on lockdown. Sounds like a really terrible situation. Do we know anything about the victims? Yes. So we know that three professors were killed and a fourth was wounded as a result of the shooting. Two of the victims were business school professors, namely Patricia Navarro-Velez and Cha-Jan or Jerry Chang. Chang was an associate professor in the management, entrepreneurship, and technology department, while Navarro was an accounting professor. The name of the third victim, a visiting professor, is actually being withheld until relatives are informed about the death. The fourth victim had a gunshot wound and was taken to a nearby hospital, and they were reported to be in stable condition. You mentioned that police officers responded to the scene. What do we know about the suspect? So Anthony Polito, a longtime business professor, has been identified as the suspect. Investigators are still analyzing his motive, but they stated that Polito received job rejections from several Nevada universities. Paul Whittington, one of Polito's former students, recounted him reminiscing on his Las Vegas trips numerous times during class. Whittington also mentioned Polito's fixation on negative anonymous student reviews of his teaching. Apparently, Polito would claim to know the faces of the students who wrote these reviews and where they sat in the classroom. And how does this story affect Bruins? So, unfortunately, the frequency of school shootings has been on the rise over time, making them less of a distant reality for students across the country. Whether it's through news stories or firsthand accounts within our community, these alarming effects impact the lives of Bruins. It's imperative for Bruins to recognize that everything truly can change in an instant and that meticulous preparation is key. We must avoid dismissing safety training with the notion that extreme events are distant from us and unlikely to occur. 
Instead, we should remain vigilant, approach these educational opportunities with seriousness, and practice and prepare for hypothetical situations. Yeah, I think that's some great advice. Unfortunately, these aren't too uncommon, and they could happen anywhere at any time, it seems. What else is going on around the country? Yesterday, the final Republican primary debate took place. The four participating candidates were Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley, Chris Christie, and Vivek Ramaswamy, with Donald Trump once again refusing to participate. In recent national polls, Trump was at 61%, followed by DeSantis at 13.5, Haley at 10, Ramaswamy at 5, and Christie at 2.5. Also, college professors of Harvard, MIT, and Penn are under scrutiny after a recent congressional hearing. When asked if they would discipline students calling for the genocide of Jews, some people believe that the professors failed to clearly condemn anti-Semitism. There's another story that I saw in the news this week that was both intriguing but also alarming, and it was about a Cuban spy. Can you give us some more information about that? Yes, so a former U.S. diplomat was charged with serving as a spy for Cuba. His name is Manuel Rocha, and it appears he has worked for Cuba since 1981. In the 90s, he served on the National Security Council, which is the top advisory council for the president on matters of national security and foreign policy. And he served as ambassador to Bolivia from 2000 to 2002. His motivations are a little unclear, but he appears to have remained loyal to Cuba throughout his career and retirement. In other news, Taylor Swift was named Time Person of the Year. A great end to an eventful year for Taylor. Can't forget about Taylor Swift. I know you're a Swifty, Trinity. Yep, Eras Tour was the best experience of my life, and I just know I'm going to be a forever fan. Well, thanks for those updates. And Izzy, thank you for the international news updates. Thank you, Jack. And now we are joined by Catherine Hamilton, the news editor for The Daily Bruin. Catherine, thanks for coming on. Hi, thanks for having me. So at this week, we start the episode with our highlight from the week. But I understand that the news section, they have a song of the day. So I have to ask, Catherine, what is your song of the day? Mine is I'm That Girl by Beyonce. Nice. And for any particular reason? Um, mainly because I saw that she like came up on my Spotify feed. And then I was like, let me listen to her album. And that was the one that was playing when the message was sent. There you go. So tell us about the biggest news stories from the paper this week. Yeah, so this week we published three articles on undergraduate students' association council resolutions that were passed unanimously. And the first one calls on the university to end its contract with Starbucks, citing the National Labor Relations Board filing over 500 unfair labor practice charges and over 80 complaints of violations of federal labor law against the company. The next resolution asks the university to hire a paid full-time staff member to oversee the collegiate recovery program for students recovering from addiction. The last resolution advocates for the UC to recognize November as Sikh Heritage Month to acknowledge the 1984 anti-Sikh riots and massacres in India, which the California State Assembly recognized as a genocide in July. I understand that USAC is our student government, but how does it make resolutions and pass them? Yeah, so USAC meets every Tuesday at 7 p.m., and during those meetings, they have a period for public comment and officer reports, and then they go into agenda discussion and resolutions. 
So every resolution has to have at least one USAC officer as a sponsor, and they're presented at one meeting and cannot be voted on until the next meeting. And all these votes passed unanimously, but sometimes there is some disagreement and it just has to be two thirds of the council. So these resolutions were passed unanimously by USAC. What are the chances that the university actually adopts them? You know, it's hard to tell, but the external vice president of USAC, specifically on the collegiate recovery program, said that there might be obstacles before changes can be made. And I feel like that really reflects what all of the resolutions will be like. And she actually said in a quote, I think the big obstacle is, as with similar initiatives, getting UCLA to listen. The biggest barrier there is having the resources and the time and the consideration to make this a priority on the administrative and bureaucratic side of things. Thanks for coming on, Catherine. Take care. That's all we have for this week. Thank you for joining us. We will be off for winter break, but come back next quarter for more this week.